What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. We have special news for you. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. Are you going to send me or anybody that I know to a camp? We have people that are stupid. I've let a lot of people down, uh, people of Minnesota. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast. I'm James Lilix, here with Peter Robinson, and we're talking to David Limbaugh and Barton Swain from the Weekly Standard. Let's have ourselves a podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast number 380. And it's brought to you by the fine people at. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. I got. Where's my ad copy? I lost my ad copy. I'm always losing my ad copy. I got to check the couch. I got to check the kitchen. I got to check the pockets. And I got to go through the bathroom, the fridge, and the hamper. Uh If I only put a tracker on that ad copy, it wouldn't happen. Then you start getting creative with your tracker. We're going to tell you a little bit more about this later and how you can save money in one of these great find thing devices. And we're brought to you by Donors Trust. It's the Community Foundation for the Liberty Movement. If you want to support groups committed to limited government, personal responsibility, and free enterprise with your charitable giving, you should learn how Donors Trust can simplify your giving. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet right now to get your free Investing in Liberty guide. And we're brought to you by Casper. Ah, I feel so good. I had such a good night's sleep. You can too if you want to sleep ahead of the curve with a Casper. $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Ricochet and using the promo code Ricochet at your checkout. And of course, we're brought to you by Ricochet. Now listen, we've all done this, right? You read a story and the story ends. But your eyes keep going as soon as you read about how the, the, the Jews are to blame for the earthquakes and Queen Elizabeth is actually a shape-shifting space lizard. You, you've wandered into the comments on YouTube. Step back. Find a sane place. Find a shore beneath your feet at Ricochet. Now, what you don't want to do is constantly feel like you got a loofah off other people's craziness after you've been on the internet, and that's why you should become a Ricochet member. It's a place where people can talk to each other without screaming, without yelling, and without space lizards cluttering up the conversation. <clears throat> it's because we have a code of conduct and we stick to it. So if you're looking for a place to find intelligent, civil conversation, we are it. There's a reason so many Ricochet members stick around year after year, and it's because they know the secret. It's a place where civil conversation can be had. But hey, it's not one of those f- secrets that the fat cats don't want you to know about. We do want you. You can be part of our online community for a mere five bucks a month. That's it. It's a bargain considering what you're getting, which is intelligent conversation anytime, day or night, with people all over the world. 
and nothing in the comments about space lizards, which just practically guarantees that in the member feed they're going to be talking about space lizards and David Ick and the people who live in the center of the planet and all the rest of it, but in a joking fashion, right? Right, Peter? You'll be there. You're not a space lizard believer. <laughs> I'm not a space lizard, lizard believer. James, we have a story that is breaking while we are recording this podcast, and it's a story that's big. And people who listen to this podcast over the coming few days may wonder why we didn't go on about it. And the answer is because it's breaking right now. Michael Flynn, former national security advisor to President Trump during the first month of the administration, is pleading guilty. He we saw him go into court about 20 minutes ago. So uh, he's likely to make a statement. The story is going to develop during the day. Safest for us to move on to other matters about which we know something. Right. And the Flynn thing will be interesting. Um, It's not a surprise to me, frankly, uh, or anybody else who's looking at this pretty much thought that was going to be what it was. People will see the guilty as being Flynn guilty means that there was everything that they're they're saying happened, that there was the the collusion, the the Russian mind beams to keep Hillary from going to Wisconsin, all the rest of it. And it's – it's not going to end up in impeachment. I'm just going to put that marker down right here now. Right. But uh, right. if I'm proven wrong in a year or two, fine. So it's I mean, th- we have seen the we have seen the court documents. He has yet to plead or I, I suppose he may be pleading while we're speaking right now. He may make a statement. Who knows about that? We know the court documents show that he's pleading guilty to lying to the FBI right. about a conversation he had with a Russian ambassador in December which is during the presidential transition. There is nothing illegal for the incoming presidential team to speak to ambassadors from foreign countries. Indeed, it would be rather odd if they didn't. Flynn, for reasons known best to Michael Flynn, lied to the FBI about two or three points in his discussion with the Russian ambassador before Trump became president. Mm. Where this will go, who knows? But right. that, but that, it's not on the face of it anything to do with... That reaches Trump or suggests impeach, blah, blah, blah. It does. We'll see. We'll see. But it doesn't look that way. There are three narratives on the left. One, that Trump is a Russian puppet. Two, that that Trump is an authoritarian. And three, that Trump is crazy. Uh, The first one, I don't think so. Uh, The second one, authoritarian, the more you devolve government and uh, do things like say we're going to get rid of these kangaroo courts where the bureaucrats and the regulatory agencies get to be judge and executioner, that's devolving power back. That's not expanding the state. I keep – when it comes to the authoritarian thing, I keep looking at the expansion of the state and the uh, the rest of these things as a a hallmark. I don't see an awful lot of Hitlerian 34, 35 kind of stuff going on. But keep your eyes peeled. Folks, uh, and the third one, Trump crazy. Well, we can get to that. Um, we can we can get to that because it's one of those weeks where you say, "Hey, if we really get some tax reform out of this, that's great. It's a legislative win. It's a number on the board for the administration." And does this mean, however, that everything else that was crazy about uh, the administration, particularly the guy at the top of it, is something we ignore and forget and just shrug and say that's just him? How much was he responsible for this? Would we have gotten this, Peter, do you think, any under another Republican president with the same configuration in Congress? Uh, Yeah, we might have gotten this under Ted Cruz. Sure, maybe. But Donald Trump beat Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz wasn't available after the primaries. We certainly wouldn't have got – we would not have got this under Hillary Clinton. That is absolutely clear. James, by the way, yes, Minnesota questions. Al Franken gave an interview this past week that Mm -hmm. looked – during which he squirmed and fidgeted and refused to admit that Mm -hmm. he had done what it is alleged he had done while at the same time apologizing for it. Very odd. And yeah. then Garrison Keillor got canned. 
These are two Minnesota boys. I expect you to explain the meaning of this to all of us. Right. They're, oh, God. Gee. Yeah, the Franken thing didn't really convince anybody and didn't uh, do him any favors. And uh, his reputation is tarnished. And now there's a sort of a kind of a deer in the headlights mortification that you associate with him as opposed to the, the, the cocky guy who knows everything was here to save you from the bad internet guy's persona that he had before. Uh, Franken is an, un, from my personal experience and from the discussions of a lot of people who've met him, is an unpleasant character. He may play a happy-go-lucky fun guy in certain fundraisers or when he's meeting fans at the state fair, but I've never got a good sense of the guy as a as a hail fellow well met. Sorry, uh, Keeler or, or Franken? Franken, Franken. Oh, Franken. Okay, okay. Right. So, so uh, you know, I'm I'm still torn as to whether or not actions taken before one was a senator mean that you have to resign. Right. It seems it seems to me that if you are grabbing uh, fistfuls of tush all the time and you're paying off people <laughs> with public money and the rest of it, your behavior as a senator, yes, you don't want to have somebody in there who essentially is, is sort of the result of asking a cartoonist to draw a horny pep boys. And it's just. Ugh. Uh, but we'll see. The ethics thing will play out, and uh, he will know <laughs> that forever his Wikipedia entry will contain a section on his butt grabbing. And it, it, it turns sort of the master of the universe persona into something else, into perhaps the, the fellow in high school who uh, the girls would hang would have him around because he made him laugh. But that was the only reason. So I don't know. Whatever psychology, whatever grossness, whatever icky, moist-minded goat brain is at work here, I don't care. Let's see how that process plays out. And there's another election to come eventually, and Al will be held accountable there. The Keeler thing is different. The Keeler thing. Okay, go ahead. Let's hear about that. Well, okay, we don't know what happened aside from the fact that we have Garrison Keeler's side of it Um, because the NPR has said uh, there aren't any other allegations as far as I know. NPR, they're not even talking to themselves. The radio station hosts. By the way, you say you are saying NPR as in Minnesota Public Radio, not national, right. but Minnesota Public Radio, which Garrison Keillor more or less invented. Isn't that he put Minnesota Public Radio on the map? Been a instrumental, a yeah. I mean, okay. the, uh, so 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 Minnesota Public Radio hosts will say we reached out to Minnesota Public Radio and they declined comment. So they're not even talking to themselves. If it is exactly what Keeler says, and it's a inadvertent a pat that went inadvertently wrong and resulted in mutual mortification and the rest of it. Um, if that's all there is, then this unpersoning of him seems extreme, right? Or not? Yeah. Well, no. It seems that way. If uh, I read his statement on his website, he pat. It, it's a little bit odd to tell you the truth. Uh, what he patted her on her bare back. Huh. What was she doing with the bare back? He patted her on her bare back after she told him about her unhappiness. So that's a, that, 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 it that requires a little more filling in and nuance, does it not? And it he is patted a- her on her bare back, and his hand slid up six inches, and they were both embarrassed, and he apologized. Odd, but yeah, on the face of it, innocent, but odd. <sighs> Sorry there, I temporarily lost my microphone. Uh, yeah, the, the description is peculiar, but, even, but let's say it's a little bit worse than that. Uh, we don't know. If there's, a, if there's a pattern of all this stuff, then, yeah, but there's no, there doesn't seem to be any pattern. I mean, and I've talked to people, I've been around, I've such and such. There doesn't seem to be anything to indicate that there's this Matt Lauer-esque libido rampaging through the halls of, the, of, of National Public Radio. So what that says, perhaps, is that we are expected, 
by the by the radio station itself to accept Mr. Keeler's version of the events because they're not saying anything as sufficient reason for the memory holding of every one of his products. And that's what's so strange about this. I mean, I can understand them saying yes, there's, yes. there's been an allegation that we're going to ha- you know, we're going to suspend or we're going to get rid of this or da, da, da. but they nuked everything. They got rid of the merchandise, the writer's almanac, they got rid of the repeats and the rest of it and I'm surprised that they're not sending out people with tanks of whiteout to to to, to you know to go through line by line the novels and stories and eliminate those from public eye if you start to and and, and artists there are bad 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 people who are artists but i mean picasso was a horrible man that's that's right yeah right and and woody allen we know so because we know what we know about woody allen do we take a movie like radio days and do do we do we destroy it do we take the works of picasso and burn them or do we see everything done in the context of what we know about the artist and go on or do we do what seems to be now the thing is to have the maximum penalty for them to show that they get it? We understand that this is a climate. It's a me too thing. We get it. He's done, which means the penalty for the leastest be is the same as the penalty for the mostest. And everybody gets put right. into the same bucket. And that right. seems to me to be, you make an bucket. extremely good point an extremely good point. We have only one account of what happened, his account. It's a little odd, but it's certainly innocent. And NPR's reaction to that account is clearly a huge overreaction, just a huge overreaction. So NPR, M as in Minnesota, Minnesota Public Radio has one of two choices. Either it explains to the public that in fact what took place was much more egregious than Mr. Keeler has let on, or it says, you know what, we did overreact. We sh- you, you may still buy Prairie Home Companion goods from our online site, and you may still download back episodes of Prairie Home Companion. We're pulling him back out of the memory hole. I agree. They have those two choices. The current situation makes no sense. Now, I was listening to this as I was walking around the block with my dog in the morning, uh, listening to the uh, to National Public Radio, Minnesota Public Radio on my phone. And I found my phone, frankly, because my phone was where I wanted it to be. But what if it hadn't been there? That's right. I'm doing an ad. And if Rob were here, I would have done it too quickly for him to be able to ruin it. But he didn't. So here's the deal. Tracker. Eight years ago, eight years ago, Tracker changed everything when they released the first tracking device. Now they've done it again. They've got an all-new Tracker Pixel. With the Tracker Pixel, you'll never worry about losing your things again. Tracker Pixel is the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. Place Tracker Pixel on whatever you tend to lose, your keys, your wallet, your anything, and it's small enough to fit anywhere. So when you misplace an item that has a Tracker Pixel attached, heaven forfend, you can use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. And it even has powerful LED lights so you can find it in the dark. Uh, now, if you lost your phone, well, just press the button on your tracker pixel and your phone rings, even if it's on silent. What a boon the modern age is. Now, it, it, you can even locate the item if it's miles away, because every tracker user is part of the largest crowd locating network in the world. It's, it's like Waze, that great app that helps you get around except for finding your things. Tracker's 30-day money-back guarantee means you have nothing to lose, and it makes a great gift, trust me, during this holiday season. Oh, yes, it does. And now you can save even more by going to tracker.com slash ricochet and get 20% off any order. That's the tracker, T-H-E-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-A-T-R-
forward slash ricochet for 20% off. The tracker.com slash ricochet. And we thank Tracker for sponsoring this, the Ricochet podcast. And now we go back to an old friend this Christmas season to discuss things of a political and spiritual nature, as usually is the case when we have on David Limbaugh, writer, author, and attorney. You can follow him on Twitter at David Limbaugh, where he kindly discusses things with people who disagree. And he does a nice job of not taking off their heads, usually. Although sometimes, David, you kind of want to, don't you? That is correct. Um, I have, uh, I'm really concerned about how Twitter has become uh, a forum for people to show they're the smartest, cutest, cleverest people in the room. And they often do that through meanness and snark as a substitute. But the trouble is a lot of these people are very smart. And I wish they wouldn't try to have to demonstrate it through their uh, meanness. And the other thing that bothers me is that there's a mob mentality that when someone is mean on there, he's applauded for his cleverness. And uh, I'm no I'm no purist and I'm no uh, saint, but sometimes it get, gets a little old. Hey, oh, David, go ahead, James. I was just going to say you're right. The culture is defined by who gets wrecked, who claps back, who gets smoked uh, for this, and uh, whether or not you make twitchy with a devastating boom remark that supposedly ends the argument. It's, it's, it's not conducive to civil discussion, but there are places where it happens. Um, Peter, you were going to say? No, I want David. Here's a large. We can. I want to get to tax reform and Alabama and all of that. But here's a big question for you. Over the last couple of days, two items. Here's a tweet by Donald Trump. New questions arise. I beg your pardon. By David Gergen about Donald Trump. David Gergen. New questions arise about Trump's temperament and mental health. Just speculation at the moment. But, but do family and staff need to evaluate? And this morning in the Washington Post, Eugene Robinson, no relation, I stress. How long are we going to pretend that President Trump is rational? How long are we going to ignore the signs that he is dangerously out of control? David Limbaugh, you support a chief executive who is dangerously out of control. Yeah, I saw that tweet and I even quoted it and responded to David Gergen saying, meaning no disrespect to Mr. Gergen. Uh, <laughs> Trump has not changed. Trump has not changed appreciably since the campaign. And uh, the uh, there's a group of people who want to reverse the results of the election and pretend that Trump it has now changed and is now mentally incompetent. And I just submit there's no difference in his idiosyncratic behavior before or after. Sometimes I cringe at these tweets. Other times I smile because of who they're upsetting. Uh, but Trump is Trump, and that's no excuse. But it is, uh, he's not incompetent. If he is incompetent, he was incompetent when he ran. Both you guys voted for him. Let me ask you, is it normal for a president to say that a political media adversary should be investigated for complicity in the death of somebody. Is that normal? Absolutely not. And it's objectionable. And I agree with that. But it, but it's not. It's not grounds to invoke the 25th Amendment. Right. No, but there's... It's the, I, 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 I agree, but it, you know, it's the but that I keep hearing. That's what just drives me crazy because it's like I, I can't stand it. It's objectionable. It's weird. It's it's not normal. But but well, we're the, the but the but is the entire argument. The but is important. The but is but there were the other choice was Hillary Clinton who would have been worse. But uh, Donald Trump, all the evidence suggests that Donald Trump's tweets have almost 
no, Donald Trump's tweets when he attacks the press are criticisms, criticisms of the press. He's venting. The First Amendment does not prevent the president of the United States from attacking the press if there were any evidence that it had any policy implications that the Federal Communications Committee Commission were going to crack down on the on CNN or any of Trump's particular enemies. If there were any evidence of that. Uh, that would be alarming. There is no such evidence. The president right, of the United States mouths off. So what? But how can we sit here at Ricochet and say we're a great place for conversation because we don't have space alien conspiracy theories in the in the comments, <laughs> and then we have a president who essentially is reading the comments from these things? It all calm down now. Uh, go on. Well, well what he? I think you're talking about what he uh, suggested about Joe Scarborough. Right. Um, is that? Yeah. That that's ridiculous. <laughs> and outrageous. And when I read those kind of tweets, I go, okay, today for the next 10 seconds, I'm, 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 I'm going to side with the never Trumpers. Then I regain my senses and no, because (laughs) that's not, that's not what their uh, objection is anyway. I mean, there, there's, there's so, this is so complex, but, but, but I would agree with you that, that there, what he did there is indefensible, but I would agree with Peter that it doesn't rise to the level of, of anything. And there, there's, it's not a 25th Amendment issue. It's not an impeachment issue. It's just distasteful, objectionable, and something we should uh, criticize. But we all know it won't do any good to criticize it. There. Pa- tax bill. Are we going to get it? Should we get it? David? Um, I, wrote a, I wrote a column on, on this uh, yesterday, and it appeared today. And arguing strenuously that the Republicans need to pass the best tax bill they can, the most pro-growth bill they can. I don't like a lot of it. I don't like that uh, the Republicans, especially Donald Trump, have surrendered to this class warfare argument and that that is incorporated in the bill where the, the richest people are punished in this bill to some extent. That really bothers me. But even though it does, I am still not wanting the, the uh, perfect to be the enemy of the good. I really want this to be passed because I do think ultimately it's pro-growth on balance with the corporate cuts and uh, the, the individual middle-class cuts. It's going to be on balance. But what bothers me is, is now we also incorporate this premise, this liberal premise that we must view everything through static models and yes. that there's no growth impact on, on tax cuts. And we have historical evidence that there is. Yes. And, so, so, so we, the way we have to do this is anytime we have a tax cut with a static model, we now have to somehow find a way to make up that revenue, which means we can never really have a supply-side tax cut anymore. And I just challenge that assumption. Why can't we, in the alternative, say, no, we don't have to find an alternative tax increase. We need to decrease spending. Now, one last thing, that decreasing spending is easier said than done because yes. the real bulk of the spending is in entitlements. But finally, Ryan, the entitlement hawk, has, come, has announced that he will initiate this. Will it pass, which is, I know, the question you asked me originally. I don't know because you got three senators, Corker Flake and Lankford, who are holding this hostage, which is reprehensible. I somehow believe that this will pass. I just hope it's not in such a diluted form that it's even worse than it already is. <laughs> okay. By the way, Lankford. When Lankford? This is this is fairly recent. Then Lankford, the uh, physician, uh, young senator, very conservative senator from Oklahoma. He's objecting to that to the tax bill. 
Well, I read that. I may have written it down wrong for my uh, preparation for this August podcast. But that's what I read. <laughs> okay. Because I right. couldn't have made that name up. <laughs> yeah. and, and David, you've also written recently that there's no GOP civil war. Now, wait a minute. You just said Corker and Flake and Lankford are holding hostage. Those were the words you used, holding hostage the tax reform bill, and yet there's no GOP civil war. How can this be? You make a good point. I should have had you around when I was writing this column. I have a theory about writing. I, I have a theory about some of the best columnists, some of the best writers, are those people who think outside the box and can ask themselves questions. Sometimes I write columns and I, and I read back and somebody makes a point and go, darn, I wish I would have thought of that. Why do I have to stay inside the box? I think Jonah Goldberg does a good job of getting outside the box. And I'm capable of that. I'm just too impatient. So I want to get the super thing in. So, but here's the point. There is a distinction. Had you asked me, had you been a considerate friend when I, and been here when I was writing the column and asked me yeah. that, I would have made the distinction. There's no civil war in the rank and file is what I mean. When you're talking uh-huh. about the people that are, are in the in positions of power, you're exactly right. We're precariously uh, mar- uh, marginal on our power, and you've got three or four, five senators that, that have been holding everything up, including Obamacare. What I mean really briefly, because you don't want to go into this tangent, about there's no civil war. Ultimately, I mean that so many of the people in Washington and in, in the punditry and in office don't realize what what the rank-and-file Republican uh, believes and, and where they really are, that, that the Trump movement transcends Trump, that it's about a simmering rage that's been going on for decades, and uh, that it's that there's just normal people that are strong, strong conservatives who I argued with during the primary when I was adamantly uh, pro-Cruz and adamantly anti-Trump. And I discovered that these people weren't being as superficial in their analysis as I thought they were. Even though I disagreed with them, they are smart, legitimate, authentic, bona fide constitutional conservatives. They're not all backwater hicks uh, that are rednecks in southern Alabama. And that's, by the way, what, they're, what, what some of the GOP elitists are trying to imply about the more thing. Another well, I, tangent I gladly go off on. Well, and we will in a second. I mean, I never thought they were backwards Southern Hicks because I don't make that assumption about uh, my my political uh, opposites or people within the party with whom I may disagree. I mean, I knew too many people in Minnesota and North Dakota who could make the case for Trump, not the man, but Trumpism, the thing. But you mentioned more. Um, So if we want to let's let's say just do the rank and file then the people who generally get behind the amorphous definition of Trumpism. Uh, do they believe, as uh, the judge Moore does, that it's the gays, the lesbians, and the bisexuals, and the transgenders who are behind this effort to keep him from assuming his rightful place in the Senate? Do they believe that? I sure hope not. And it's that it's that element that that taints Trumpism. By the way, I'm not a Trumpist in that sense, but it, but it taints you know the the uh, Tea Party kind of a movement. And and there is, I concede, an element of that that is just conspiracy theory and and ridiculous. Um, I hope I hope it's not prevalent. I hope it's not even prevalent in Alabama. However, uh, you know, more is apparently popular down there, and the, these people are thinking, well, uh, the last forty years he's he's been pretty clean, and if this had been true, we would have heard more about it. You know, they, they go through all this. I, by the way, I have my very, very strong suspicions that, that a lot of this may be true. So I'm not, 
Uh, I'm not going to argue that that I don't think he's guilty of some of it because I do. But then they screwed up, if if indeed they screwed up, but by Gloria Allred's overreach, because she she might very well have made some of that stuff up. This woman is is vicious. So so that she just gave the the supporters of, of Moore a free gift there uh, because. He- one out of eight allegations is now tainted and, and therefore looks like the rest of it might be. David, in one, way or an- in one way or another, what we're talking about here is the midterm elections of 2018. You're saying that Republicans need to tax the, pass the tax reform to, for the substance of it, to promote growth, but also because they need to do something. They need to do something popular. We're all concerned yeah. that the election of Judge Roy Moore will be used by the media to taint the whole Republican Party. You have lived all your life in Missouri, which is a pretty closely balanced state politically. It has two senators. One's a Republican. The other is a Democrat. The Democrat, Claire McCaskill, is up for reelection next year. What's happening in Missouri? Is Donald Trump going to bring her down or enable her to skate by to reelection? Claire, by the way, is a law school classmate of mine and and a friend. And uh, a friend socially, I, I have nothing in common with her politically. But um, I think from what I've read, she's in trouble politically and she's uh, ha- she's handicapped to lose this thing. So, yeah, I think that uh, there's a good chance that Josh Hawley, the attorney general, constitutional cruise type conservative, uh, will unseat her if, if the election uh, is held. But by the way, Peter, I, I want to be clear, and I, I didn't get a chance to flesh this out in the column. It's it, some of the there's there's this uh, constant refrain from the the left and from many of, of the never Trumpers. Again, I hate that I hate that label because uh, regardless that that there's so much tribalism going on. I don't support the Republican Party because I have some allegiance to the party. I don't want. Uh, to preserve this seat because I want to uh, preserve more wins or, or more votes in the Republican uh, side because I like the color of Republicanism. I think it, it, the Republican Party is the, the, the vehicle for stopping the leftist agenda, the best of the worst vehicles, the only vehicle right now. And, and so it, there's nothing about tribalism with me, although I am a, a strong partisan, but only as a means to an end. Well, then, then let, me, let me ask you this then, because uh, we're going to get to the tweet that you had explaining how a religious Republican supports uh, more. But if, if, the, if the necessity is stopping the left and the vehicle are these flawed individuals, then why does it matter that he's been clean about this recently? If, as a 70-year-old man, he was chatting up 16-year-old girls and trying to date them, wouldn't that be okay too? Because the alternative is the left. Uh, well, that's the, that's the dilemma that I was raising on Twitter that I, I just have to concede and, and it's, it's hard to concede this, but I have to concede that it's thinkable that I would vote for more, even if I thought he was guilty of some of this stuff, because, uh, I, I look and, and this, this comes at great pain to me because I believe in and have long written 20, 20 years hint that uh, the Constitution, like John Adams said, is made for a moral and religious people, that character and virtue matter, that it's all tied together. Uh, and so 
it's very difficult to say that I would countenance the idea of a moral reprobate in that position. And I'm not saying I would. I'm just saying I'm torn and I'm saying there's a difficult issue here because what I look at is uh, how will these two people vote? I don't like the example it would set. In fact, if I had to vote for more, I would throw up literally uh, while doing it. But when I look at the practical ramifications of what are consequences of what could happen, I see Doug Jones, who will be a very pivotal vote in a very close Senate at a time when we are on the precipice of stopping uh, the leftist agenda now or never doing it. I mean, you're looking at the, at, the, at the worst case scenario, which is what I tend to do sometimes when it comes to politics. And if, uh, what, what will Jones do? He's a guy that advocates uh, abortion even and government-funded abortion all the way up to the moment of crowning. How evil is that, by the way? And, and some people will argue, well, uh, is Senator really isn't going to affect the vote. This is a judiciary. Well, that's not true when it comes to appointing judges who will ultimately make this decision. So, but even, even if it isn't true, what we're really arguing about is not uh, moral absolutes, but people who are weighing these things. And the people who are adamantly against more saying you could never support that guy, but you could support an abortion-on-demand liberal uh, because it will never happen. What if it would happen? What if this abortion-on-demand uh, liberal had a, a, an ability to kill babies? Then would it be a moral dilemma? And then you get into the issue to me. This is what bothers me about the whole Trump thing. I don't, I don't fault and morally judge never-Trumpers except when they are so sanctimonious about us. That's what bothers me, and that's what's going on with the Moore thing. Here's the deal, I, and that's what went on in Twitter today, condemning the Federalists for allowing, how dare the Federalist publication allow some pro-Moore apologist to, to uh, visit its pages. But here's the thing that bothers me. I, why do we have to uh, say that we can't, uh, uh, we can't reduce ourselves to the lesser of evils. When, when did this argument, you see, it's, I, it's, it's fine to talk about that in the fairy tale world, but what in the, in the voting situation, it's necessarily binary. And, and I know a lot of people who I respect and admire and who are smarter than I am, uh, some of them, very few of them, no, I was kidding. Some of them say <laughs> that, uh, that it, it's, they can't countenance voting for uh, one bad guy, let's say Trump, and they vote for nobody, and they have discharged their moral duty. Now, I'm not saying they haven't. I'm saying that doesn't work for me, because I know in reality that one of the two candidates is going to win. Therefore, I have to do everything in my power to make sure the least damaging, in this case, person is elected. So I don't, in my conscience, don't discharge my moral duty by sitting home. It's a very convenient thing. I wish I could. I wish I could say that and be done with it, but I can't because I think the stakes are too high and, and I have to weigh the whole thing knowing that one of those two people are going to win. Then I have to weigh which is worse for the republic. And that's what everybody does. That's what everybody ultimately does because if they're saying you absolutely can't vote for more because he's a probable child molester, that's what they would say. I'm not saying he's probable. I just don't know whether he is or not. But, but if, if, if he is, you have to vote for him because other against him because it's too immoral. What are there no moral considerations for voting for uh, Doug Jones on the other side of the aisle? I just to me, it, there's a lot of moral uh, right. considerations. Uh, yeah, 
Well stated, David. And I'm going to – I just have two points after which I'm going to let you go to make it seem like I won the argument. Uh, and the, the first is uh, – <laughs> the, the first is the end result of this is that uh, I don't want to hear anybody complaining about the morals of a Ted Kennedy or a Bill Clinton again because it's – the, the ability to, to occupy that moral – that mohigro as we used to call it, it's gone. And the second thing is I understand. I don't think the people who vote for more are moral reprobates themselves. I understand that people make this calculation. Calcul- and that everything seems binary. We've got to rush the cockpit door. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But here's the deal. Some people drew the line here at a certain place and said, I'm not going to cross over. I'm not going to put my name next to that man for reasons that we can argue about. And the people who are voting for more now say, look, I understand that there's a moral question here, but this is important. This is binary. I'm not going to draw the line. But at some point, you're going to have to draw that line. There's good, there, you have to imagine a situation in which you absolutely cannot cast your name in with somebody because you would feel as though you would endorse a moral stain that, that says something about what you are willing to endure. And at that point, when every, when people hit that line, just don't look back at those who drew the line a little earlier and say that there was something wrong with us. No, we wanted to keep ourselves from having to draw the line about that guy by drawing the line about this guy. And that sounds tremendously self-serving. And don't we wish you could respond, but we're out of time. Hey, David, tweet about it, write about it, and uh, come to the comments. We'd love to have you on, and it's been a great chat, my friend. Thank you. Let's not get numb to the, the dangers of what the left can do through all this. But I'm not saying I'd vote for more. I'm saying it's a tough, tough issue, and these sanctimonious people who say it's absolutely clear, uh, that's fine for them. It just doesn't work for me. Numb. <clears throat> Thanks, David. We'll talk to you later. I, David, I will not permit James to go numb. <laughs> you have we'll, my word. Yeah, I will not be replying. James? James is the least sanctimonious of never Trumpers forever and ever, <laughs> for which I applaud him. And thank you guys. <laughs> Take care, David. Bye bye. I won't be applying any moral aura gel, uh, shall we say? Hey, before we get to our next guest, I'm gonna need, I need to tell you about something that is important because you're a charitable soul, aren't you? If you're hanging around on Ricochet or listening to this, probably so. Well, it's no secret <clears throat> when it comes to doing something with your money, it's hard to do something necessarily that's right. It's also no secret that the best policy ideas are not coming from politicians. No, they're coming from think tanks, public interest law centers, and other principled individuals and groups around the country. And the best ones are those that do not rely on government money to operate, right? So if you want to help move the ideas of liberty, libertas, forward, invest your charitable giving in those who are doing the work of real conservative causes. And the simplest way to do this is through donors' trust. Donors Trust is the community foundation for the liberty movement. With a donor-advised fund at Donors Trust, you'll simplify your giving and receive excellent tax benefits, all in a way that helps you give an an additional layer of privacy. Now, at donor-advised funds, they offer the same basic services, but Donors Trust is the only donor-advised fund that shares your commitment to conservative principles. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet for your free investing in Liberty Guide. It gives you practical advice on how to identify principle-driven charities that deserve your support. Now, as we near the end of uh, 2017 here, Donors Trust, that's the partner you need. The stock market's booming. The tax code's changing. Donor trust experts can help you navigate all of this and equip you in such a way that best benefits you, your family, and the principles you hold dear. So visit DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet right now to download a free copy of your helpful guide. Discover a better way to support the conservative values you believe in. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet. DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet. And now we go to Barton Swain. Opinion editor of the Weekly Standard. From 2007 to 2010, he worked for South Carolina's Governor Mark Sanford 
as a speechwriter. And in, in the experience, he wrote about that, a memoir called The Speechwriter, A Brief Education in Politics. Uh, and I, unfortunately, can't participate in this conversation because I've used up all of my weekly standard visits for the – no, wait a minute. It's the first of the month. <laughs> I've got at least five free weekly standard articles to read. So we welcome him to the podcast. Hello, Barton. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, hey, Barton, Peter Robinson here. We've never met, but I've admired your prose since your book came out. The book is The Speechwriter, A Brief Education in Politics, published, let's see, two years ago, 2015? Yeah, uh, that's right. Yep. Okay. And now you are in the tradition of Joseph Epstein and Andy Ferguson and Phil Terzian. You are holding up the the beauty in prose chair at the uh, Weekly Standard <laughs> as opinion editor. Okay, so here's the first question. Right. You worked for Mark Sanford, the, I don't know any other way to say this, Republican and lunatic governor of South Carolina who disappeared for five days, claiming he was hiking on the Appalachian Trail when he was in Buenos Aires with his mistress. Correct. He finally left the governorship, and two years later, the people of South Carolina, or one district in South Carolina, sent him to the House of Representatives. <laughs> All right. Roy Moore, you're a Southerner yourself. You have experience of Southern politics. Roy Moore, who uh, is running for the Senate in Alabama, was down in the polls after uh, claims, mm -hmm. allegations about his behaving in improper uh, way with young women, very young women, is now back up in the polls, and it looks as though he's actually going to win. What the heck is going on? <laughs> well, um, 2009, which is when the, the Sanford thing happened, seems like ages ago. Um, you know, that, that was back in the good old days when we had real scandals. <laughs> um, yeah, Mar Mark's... Mark Sanford's scandal is unusual in at least one respect. There was there was at least one thing you could say for it is the woman was a grown up <laughs> um, with whom he had the affair. You know, right. it wasn't it wasn't some um, it wasn't a staffer or a you know it wasn't a prostitute. Um, you know, it was somebody. <laughs> so so there's that genuine <laughs> right, um, which actually happens less often than you would think. Uh, Elliot Spitzer, that that happened around the same time. So it was sort of a there was a contrast in in Mark's favor. I think um, the the Roy Moore thing, I do not understand, and 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 um, that's that's a difficult one to interpret. Wow, James, how long has it been since we had anybody on the podcast who answered in effect? I don't know. <laughs> you got another question for me? <laughs> So, okay, Barton, let me go and we will, you are, you are entirely permitted to say, to shrug your shoulders when it comes to Roy Moore. Your current piece in the Weekly Standard, or at least the latest Weekly Standard to reach me here in California, and I, unlike some people on the line, <clears throat> Lilacs, uh, am a subscriber to the Weekly Standard. I get it in paper and also have unlimited access to it on, online. So you have a piece called Good Luck Doing the Right Thing. Yes. The Cultural Contradictions of Modern Liberalism, and you write – this is going to be a little bit of a paraphrase here. Um, when people are placed under a – this is not a paraphrase. I've found it, and I'm quoting you. When people are placed under a contradictory, contradictory set of demands that they don't understand, they may reject the whole system and look for something they can make sense of. My guess is that we've begun to see that rejection – and we're about to see more of it. 
Mm. Explain. Right. Well, I I have felt as a conservative uh, for a long, long time that one of the one of the frustrating things about living in a in a in a society that's dominated by what I describe in the piece is modern liberalism is that the rules keep changing. The, the, the cultural norms keep changing and you're, you're, if you, for example, and, and, and we're all writers here on this podcast. And so we're uh, used to this feeling, but if you decide, Hey, I want to write something about, um, you know, sexual ethics or race, um, you immediately get nervous. Your right. wife probably tries to persuade you not to write it. No. Um, you, you're you're a fool if you tweet anything about it. Right. Um, you know, I'm exaggerating, but uh, you, because um, in in uh, a very short space of time, uh, certain things that were that were um, not thought of as particularly significant, you know, just phrases. Um, ways of ways of expressing certain realities and then opinions um, become um, become outlawed right. and um, depending on how you express yourself you might you might run afoul of one of these one of these um, laws um, and and suddenly you you are you are um, characterized as a racist or or a homophobe or whatever now that is not particularly new. Many conservatives have, have, um, have complained about this, but I wrote the piece trying to describe the feeling of people who, um, just, you know, ordinary people, how they think about it. And I do think that, um, there is a, there is an underlying frustration among ordinary people that the rules about what they can say and what they can't say um, and the opinions that they're supposed to hold and not hold and express in polite company, those rules keep changing. Um, and, you know, I didn't make the connection um, explicit, explicitly with the Trump phenomenon, but I don't think they're, they're entirely unrelated. So, so, so here's, what, here's something that came to my mind while I was reading your piece. In one fancy educational institution after another, there are co-ed dorms. In a lot of them, there are only co-ed dorms. Mm -hmm. And many of them refuse even to segregate the genders by floors. And the boys and the girls are mixed up floor to floor to floor. And they use the same bathrooms. And this is widespread across the Ivies and other elite institutions. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, the message is you get to tumble around together clothed, unclothed, all you want. And on the other hand, the message is here in California, for example, the state legislature, it is now actually statutory. I think you mentioned this, don't you, in your article in the UC system, University of California system, before sexual uh, encounters or activity, consent, explicit consent, verbal, written, explicit consent must be given. Yes. And it seems as though those two sets of that one reality, of course, uh, go fulfill yourself sexually. On the other hand, whoop, 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 make sure she signs yes. on the dotted line. Right. And that'll drive ordinary people crazy. Right. Rough, roughly is a paraphrase of your argument. Right. Yes. Yes, that's that's correct. Yes. And and, you know, even right, even writing that 
um, I got a little nervous. You know, you don't know what if you're going to say something that's just outrageous and find yourself um, mm-hmm. on on trial. Um, but yes, what cons- the whole notion of consent is a very difficult one to to pin down in in real circumstances. Um, you know, for in some circumstances it means one thing, and some it doesn't quite mean that. Who knows? Um, and and treating uh, sexual encounters in this way is is completely absurd. Um, that that's not the way humans relate to each other. Well we, well, we have all these contradictory messages. We say on one hand that that the males are generally predators, and that the patriarchal the patriarchal system exists to extend privilege to men to do what they wish. And then on the other hand, if you say, well, you know, uh, a, a young woman who's physically vulnerable should not get hammered in a room full of strange men who are otherwise equally intoxicated, right. that somehow that's blaming the victim. And right. so you, you, there, there, there's no there's no lodestar morally for any of this. And when you talked about the frustration that people feel and the, the frustration manifests itself by shutting down and just not saying anything outside the confines mm-hmm. of your house, it's it's matched by a feeling that the other side is able to say whatever that they wish. The yeah. blue the blue checks on Twitter are taken away from the people who say a few inadvertent things or, or some truly awful things. Yeah. But the blue checks remain on people who say things that are extraordinarily blanket condemnations of people with particular genital apparatuses or people who happen to have a lack of melanin. They can say just about anything. And it's yeah. seen within the, the, within the context of a struggle and dethroning privilege and all the rest of it. And it's the role of the people who previously, as they would say, felt entitled to spread their heteronormative patriarchal privilege bias everywhere without care. Now it's really their time to shut up. And if, if, if the balance of free speech means now that they don't have very much, that's okay because that's going to result in a more egalitarian world. Well, not maybe for everybody, but for the people who need and deserve it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another one that I was just thinking of, you know, in in, in the way you talk about race um, is even more radioactive. Um, And, um, you know, you you wouldn't think that that had changed all that much in recent time. But in fact, um, I had to I had to ask my daughter, who's a teenager, what cultural appropriation actually meant. Um, because I kept seeing this phrase and I, what is that? What, what does that mean? You're not supposed to do. And it turns out that if you are of one race, you're not supposed to, um, in, in any way represent the thoughts or feelings of another race. I, I think it's something like that. So again, um, you know, you think that you've seen it all. You think you know what the rules are, and you're a pretty sophisticated person. Uh, but be careful. Well, it, it, uh, yes and no. I mean, no, you're not supposed to assume the thoughts and feelings of people from different cultures as though they are your own. But the manifestations that we usually hear in the grievance industry are the people who dress up in stereotypical Mexican costumes for the Cinco de Mayo and are reprimanded for that, or the women 
the white women who choose hoop earrings and are dressed down for culturally appropriating a piece of jewelry that has come to be associated with African-American cultures. So you don't know. And again, it's the feeling that there's no, that it's only on one, that you can't look at other people and say, well, aren't you a pro? I mean, isn't it strange sometimes to look at a James Bond movie in the 1960s set in Japan and they're all wearing Western suits? Yeah. Is that is yeah. that not a, I mean I adore cultural appropriation in the sense that you have cultures informing and enriching each other and trading and teaching and the rest of it that would seem to be the sort of syncretic american experience that we want to that we want to applaud right. not the clichés of wearing the sombrero and the rest of it but realizing that there's this mutual exchange of ideas that makes us all better and it's one of the things that's made america what it is Mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 vaulting over tribe and assuming larger values from what we can get from each other. Go on, Peter. Barton, yeah, Qu- question for you. I, this may be hitting you cold with this one. You worked in South Carolina. You're a Southerner yourself. We were discussing Alabama earlier. Is this – is the sense of anger, defiance, we're tired of being pushed around particularly strong in the South? I mean I, – there are all kinds of studies. Where was the last one? Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book in which he included a study showing that Southerner, the sense of honor is still demonstrably. Psychologists have sorted out experiments that uh, you can actually kind of quantify this, that there is still a sense of honor, personal pride and so forth in the South that's distinctive. Is the South distinctively defiant of political correctness and the culture of the elites on the coasts? Um, yeah, that is hitting me pretty cold. Um, probably you can, you can write, you can write an essay about it and mail it into us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that there is truth in that characterization. I mean, the South is, is, is very different from what it used to be, obviously both because the times have changed and because, uh, many people have moved here and, and the, the, culture is not for good and ill is not as distinctive as it used to be. But um, there is a, I think that there is a feeling uh, just in general among um, I'll, I'll say, I'll say be safe and say Southern white people that, um, that um, the South is always being characterized in some unfair way. Right. Um, so if, um, you know, if there's a, if there's a drama on television and, um, you know, a, a, and there's a terrorist strike on the U S or something like that. Um, and there, and, and they want to portray a, a backlash, you know, against Muslims or whatever, even though the South has no particularly, no particular history of, of, of anti Muslim, um, sentiment. Um, the, the, the show will in almost invariably portray that backlash It's happening in like Georgia or something. Right. Right. Um, right. and, and we're all used to this. We all sort of complain about it. Um, and we're probably too prickly about it. Um, and, and, but, but yeah, that, that's a, that's a just general sense that, that, um, we're un, unfairly characterized and probably fairly characterized in some ways, but, but still, yeah, um, all of that contributes to a, a sense of, of, um, um, I don't know if it's defiance, but, but, 
um, a prickliness. prickliness. Yeah. All right. Well, growing up, growing up in North Dakota, all I knew about the South, I learned from Yosemite Sam in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> when he stepped over the Mason-Dixon line and he said, my, my boots touch Yankee soil. I have to burn my boots. Um, but I will say also that having spent some time in Washington, D.C. and claiming that as, as being in a proximity to the South, I realized that y'all is a perfectly useful and necessary word. And as a North Dakotan, I appropriate that culture without an apology. Martin, thanks for joining us in the podcast today. I hope to talk to you soon. Yes, Thank you, gentlemen. To, we're going to start referring to you as the prickly Barton Swaim. <laughs> it's a nice word, isn't it? You <laughs> call it prickly. <laughs> oh, thanks, Barton. Thanks. Okay. You know, prickly also describes that pins and needles feeling you get, you know, of course, when you're sleeping wrong and your arm goes numb or something like that. It's not going to happen on a Casper. No, 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 no. Casper mattress, the sleep brand, <clears throat> they continue to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper mattresses, well, they provide all the support the human body needs in all the right places. After all, you spend a third of your life sleeping, you should be comfortable doing so, right? Well, Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of both sink and bounce. And it's got a breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. Three mattress models available, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. Now, it's not just a mattress company. No, no, no. They offer a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. Uh, Casper gives you such affordable prices because they have eliminated the middleman and they sell directly to you, the consumer. Uh, and over 20,000 of these consumers have left reviews with an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, Google. It's becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. It's designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S. No hassle returns if you're not completely satisfied, which you will be. And your Casper is delivered right to your door in this small box that makes you say, how did they get that thing in there? How? Free shipping, by the way, and returns in the U.S. and Canada. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. I got it. I love it. Every night I sink into it with gratitude because I know I'm not going to wake up with the aches and pains that you get from a lousy mattress. I just love my Casper. That's all there is to it. You will, too. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper if you can get $50 off any mattress just by visiting casper.com slash ricochet and using the promo code ricochet at your checkout. That's casper.com slash ricochet, promo code ricochet for $50 off any mattress. Terms and conditions apply. And our thanks, of course, to Casper for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Well, um, any thoughts before we uh, we head out here into December? Are you in a holiday mood, Peter? I am in a holiday mood, actually. I'm already five pounds over target weight from Thanksgiving and eager to put on another 10 useless pounds. Um, <laughs> here in California, it, it's uh, it, it's sunny. Uh, the sky is creamy rather than bright. That's what happens here in winter. Um, it, 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 it's lovely. And I, it took me years. Of course, I grew up in the East Coast where, as in Minnesota, there are four sharply defined seasons. And here in California, it's just that the sunny season sort of flows into a season of occasional rain. It took me a long time to mark the much more subtle changes in the seasons. But it's high winter here in California. And after all these years, yes, it makes me feel like Christmas. I'm looking out the window at a barren ground. I'm actually looking at green <laughs> grass. I'm looking at bare branches clawing a gray sky. No snow looking, yet at all? 
no snow whatsoever. I'm looking wow. at a temperature today in the 40s, and it would may even rise over the weekend. I'm looking at a place where last weekend, as I put up the Christmas lights, it was 60 degrees in the end of November. And I swore as I was stringing them, remembering the seasons past where my, my, my fingers were numb. I could barely manipulate the little plugs to get the lights in. This year, I swore I heard a lawnmower up the street. And I just had a, a vision of somebody who decided that it would be a great time to mow the lawn. You could tell from the cadence of the motor and the way that it, it, it paused and changed timber when he ran around the corner. Somebody was mowing his lawn. And that seemed so wrong, but it felt so right. Now, I know we'll probably get really cold, <laughs> but the idea that we live in Minnesota and we don't get a white Christmas is one of those things that sets people's teeth on edge. We'll put up with, a, with the interminable dark vault of February, of, of January. We'll, we'll put up with the miserable raw scrape of March, but we deserve that Courier and Ives wonderful snow on the eaves, twinkling, falling on Christmas Eve, Christmas that we all grew up with. I, I mean, we're, we don't have to dream of a white Christmas because we get a white Christmas and we don't Minnesotans turn angry so who knows who knows uh, you know Al Franken may win political points by uh, by leading a cause for some sort of cloud seeding to make sure that we have a white Christmas we'll, we'll forgive him for all the, the tush grabbing or maybe not um, we hope we've grabbed your attention here for this uh, for the last hour or so and uh, we remind you Donors Trust Tracker and Casper are fine sponsors they've helped make this podcast possible and please support them for supporting us you might want to dance on over to iTunes if you would too there's lots of great podcasts but gosh if you leave us good reviews we get surfaced we get more readers we get more people going to ricochet and we get more people contributing which you should do you've done so right join ricochet five dollars a month a great christmas gift for somebody else or just a gift for yourself you deserve it and i say that in the sense of knowing nothing about you whatsoever it could be possible that you don't deserve it but you know what pony up give it a try and see if you do uh there's a podcast here by the way it's just two dollars and fifty cents which is cheap thank you peter we thank our guests and we'll see everybody in the comments at ricochet 3.0 next week james
stars fell on Alabama last night. I never planned my imagination. Situation. So heavenly. So Fairyland where no one else could enter in the center. Ricochet. Join the conversation.